Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, an appearance two years in the making, a comedian, a writer, and the host of not one but two podcasts, Fitzdog Radio, and Childish, forever a beloved member of the SiriusXM family. Hello, and welcome, Greg Fitzsimmons. I love that intro when the guy doesn't know your last name. That yeah. is, well, as somebody who's hosted many shows, sure. and you know, when you do the uh, comedy store in LA, mm-hmm. it's called what they call tag team, which means whoever is on after you, you just introduce them and there's no host. Yeah. And how many times have I forgotten somebody's last name? And it is the worst, scariest feeling in the world. Yeah, it it, it actually like almost mars your set when you start getting near the end and you because you, you have to kind of think with two brains at the same time yeah. or three you're like reading the crowd and doing your stuff and then you see the person you see their silhouette in the doorway right especially have you ever had it when it's like i forgot brendan schaub's name one time no i've, known, Bren- the- I've known brendan for <laughs> years kick your ass <laughs> i wasn't worried about that it came to me there's just that yeah. awful that awful thing you have to float you right. know where you go i and 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 it, and it usually comes, and it's almost just like God's way of of uh, of fucking with you. That was uh, in the belly room. That was one of the the door guy, oh, little spots. Right, yeah, right. yeah. Um. So yeah, you. I believe we're supposed to be on like the third episode of the show, and we're up to like five hundred now. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, then this better be good. I think you. Yeah. Well, I know you and Wheeler Walker. I'd have to go back and look, but that was real, yeah. real, real early on. I'm glad to have you here. I've always admired certain things about you. Oh, that's nice to hear. Um, I admire a lot of things about you, but there's some things I don't think you hear all the time. I admire, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, the way that I, I see you um, aging. Mm. Because I feel like everyone that I know is, and it's like a defensible point of view, but they're just going to keep riding out some version of their 20s forever. Uh-huh. They're not going to stop wearing the t-shirts that they wore. They're not going to take the chain thing off of their wallet. They're not going to take the gauges out, what have you. I feel like I kind of, I'm old school enough that I thought it was cool to get older. Uh-huh. I thought there was something dignified about getting like gray temples. Yeah, and I feel like you are embracing being a man, not a child. I think on some levels, yes. Like um, my son had his prom this weekend, I saw that. and I felt very um, grounded in pride that we had raised a kid that uh, brought tears to my eyes when I saw him standing up there with his friends in his tuxedo, and I felt like he's prepared for the world. And I took in that I was a big part of that. And that, you know, even though entertainment is what I do for a living, that my family has been my primary focus. And I think that probably has let me age because as you go through the different stages of raising kids and a marriage, you know, it's 20 years next month I've been married, three wives, 
Mm. No, but but, but all, all together, <laughs> together that's 20, a lot of marriage cumulatively twenty <laughs> years, um, and that I think that 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 part makes you feel. It's almost like I love that my son did taekwondo because you get belts as you go along, and it keeps you interested, and it makes you feel uh, like you're growing and and getting better because you're constantly getting belts. And I feel like raising kids and being married is like that. Like you reach thresholds, they start school, they learn to walk, whatever it is, it it puts you in another place. And without that, and uh, and I now are you married? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been married for well, if my kid is seven and a half, then I've been married for eight years. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of a that's a sweet spot. Seven and a half is really like um I don't know. You go from thinking thinking, is this kid gonna survive to how how do I define this kid's character more? Uh you know what? I'm finding that it's um I'm starting to wonder if it's too late with some of the early mistakes we made. Well, Erickson would say that. Freud would say that. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I feel like I'm starting to see certain things play out in his personality that I'm like, ooh, did we do that when you... Because I prided myself on, I'm like, I know we haven't left any awful scars on this child. I, every time he has a birthday, I'm like, we didn't... He hasn't seen something that he'll be talking to a therapist about, for sure, 25 yeah. years from now. And I can still say that, honestly, but every decision... And Josh Wolf told me that one time. He's like, the kid that... um uh, isn't gonna you know hurl themselves off a wall? That's great, but that's the kid who might be a little cautious walking into a social situation when they get older. Right. And I'm starting to see, like, as I say, that certain things about him may be too late for me to fix. Well, I've read a lot about this because of my podcast with Allison Rosen, which I childish. have a lot of questions about. And uh, the 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 research really says that your kid has more to do with his DNA and his peers, or as much as mm-hmm. parenting that. It really is so much of their personality. I talked to, I was talking to my mom on the phone on the way over here, talking about how different my two kids are. And she was like, yeah, I mean, look at it. They have the same DNA. They grew up in the same house, same parents, same town, and yet they're polar opposites. And you realize, like, so parenting is not that big of a part of it. I think the only thing you can do is make them feel heard. Make them feel seen and heard. And then they will they will develop confidence that they have a place in the world and they belong here. The rest will take care of itself. I agree with you entirely, except for don't you feel like if you met um, a couple of siblings and you weren't necessarily able to guess their age more often than not, if you got to hang out with them for a minute, you'd be able to guess which one was the the oldest one and which one came along later. Because I find with my friends, uh, we had a, a bunch of uh, peers. Um, you know, people who had kids at the exact same time, and they all had their second kid way before we did. Yeah, and all of the first kids are the more cautious. They were the more doted on. I wouldn't say the helicopter parenting, but something in that realm. The second kid had more free reign of the house, just wandering Absolutely. around finding yeah. crusts of bread and eating them for a snack and stuff yes. like that. And I feel like the the second kids are all very clear second kids and all the first kids. And now I'm seeing that now that, I mean, my daughter is 10 months old and I already feel like I can see that from her compared to myself. Yeah, when I was, uh, my car was getting repaired and so I rented a Mustang GT convertible. And I took my son out in it, and I was tearing through Venice Beach. I was going as fast as I could, and he was screaming, Slow down, Dad! (laughs) Slow down! So I take him back to the house. I drop him off. I put my daughter in the car, and I'm driving her around the same way, and she's going, Faster! Faster! Exactly. Yeah. 
So maybe it's not your specific brand of parenting. Maybe it's just the role in, Birth the, order. in, the, in, the, in the pecking order. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. That has a lot to do with it. What uh, Prom night, do you have any sense of what kids get up to on prom night? Well, nowadays? now we didn't tell our parents. Right. You know, like I got it. I bought an eight ball of cocaine. And, for uh, your son. For, for my son. <laughs> one condom, because that's all you need when you're doing an eight ball. You're not going to get to that second no, condom. No, 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 no. You might not even finish in that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I got it. No, on mine I had an eight ball, and I, I was I was with this girl who was really fun and crazy, and we went to nightclubs in New York City and just went crazy. Stayed out till eleven in the morning, and he told us his whole plan. He's like, "Yeah, we rented a house. Like all the parents knew that they'd rented a house on Airbnb, and they had six security guards because it was going to be two hundred kids." And they had 25 bottles of booze. And like they told us the whole thing. And then they were Instagramming it all night so we could see what was happening. So it's, a kind, of out, it's kind of all out on the table. And I think because, because our kids have grown up in a city, I think that we know they've been exposed to a lot. And we don't – you helicopter parent up to a point. But once they become teenagers, I find that we let them get on a bird scooter at the age of 14 and go to school on it and to hang out a little bit later at the skateboard park on the beach in Venice. And you just kind of go like, they're going to explore. And we did it. Yeah. And I, and I think that you'll find a transition with your kids as they get to be teenagers where you realize you did your job, they're good kids, and it's time for them to have some fun. So I feel like you've already answered my next question, which is, do you regret having been so transparent about, you know, obviously since you've had kids, you've made the decision every time you share something from your life with the world via comedy or radio or yeah. whatever, you know that you're doing that, but you weren't necessarily thinking of that 10 years before the kid came along. It seems like you're, you don't have, you would not have any regrets about saying eight ball of Coke or whatever, because your kid well, just didn't follow that path. I wrote a book. I see. I wrote a memoir and I <laughs> talked about the, all the eight balls of Coke. And I talked about fucking the girl as, as a virgin on a hood of a Camaro in the mud Mm-hmm. And the rain, yeah. Bruce Springsteen playing. What song? Uh, Born to Run. Perfect. FM radio. Yeah. In the eighties, and uh, and so they read my book against my wishes. They got a copy of the book and they read it. How did you find out that they had read it? They said to me they had questions. They were well. I found it in my daughter's room. She was way too young to read it. How old? She was like fourteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so. I'm not embarrassed by anything, but I really made a point of walking through it with them and discussing the choices I made. And I go, look, I, I had a very different childhood than you. My dad was an alcoholic. We used to get beat. We were in a, a rough town. We were surrounded by drug use. It was, it was the 80s. Things were very different. And I had to quit because I, was, I, did, I did it so much and so wrong that it couldn't be a part of my life in a healthy way, so I had to stop. I would love for you to have a healthy relationship to drinking and doing cocaine. <laughs> God damn it. See, that's great. That's because that's I don't have that answer. I had a perfectly solid upbringing. My parents love me. They're still together, still in the house I grew up in. I don't really have any regrets about trying cocaine or even heroin, for that matter. So you didn't I- try cocaine? No, I don't have any regrets that I did oh, try right. it and heroin. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm going to tell my kids because I don't want them to do the things that I should have died so many times. And I don't have that neat little end of, and that's why I had to stop. Yeah. Because I know I'm still doing it. Right. Right. I'm not sensing I, an answer. I really, <laughs> I think we maybe overestimate um, how much our negative behavior will affect our kids. Cool. I think if you communicate honestly about it, mm-hmm. 
then your kids are going to make their own decisions. And, you know, and kids, a lot of times kids, I know kids whose parents are potheads that don't smoke pot, you know, that are 18 years old. And yeah. Ray just, Don Chung. Who? Ray Don Chung. Tommy Chung's kid. Oh. Hates pot. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe I need to do more heroin. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you want to set up the pendulum to swing back. I want to become publicly identified yeah. with heroin in such a way. So <laughs> get some merch going. Did you shoot it or snort it? No, I snorted a little yeah. bit. I, I knew uh, a guy from a rock band. How did it feel? Into, pretty good. Yeah. Um, have you ever tried like a, a, all of the, the Vicodins? Yeah, I, I was hooked on those for a little while. Okay. Yeah. They're all, the drugs only really do like four things. Mm-hmm. Right. There's the ones that speed you up, the ones that slow you down, the ones you make you feel fuzzy inside, and the ones that make music better. What about the ones that make you trip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's uh, that's kind of that's it though, and yeah. everything else is just a shade of those. Do things. you believe? I just read a book by a guy named Michael Pollan called sure. "Changing Your Mind." Right. I'm and, familiar with him, but not the book. Well, yeah. He. I mean, that's the great thing about this book is Michael Pollan is very well respected as a scientist, nutritionist, and uh, but he wrote a book where he spent a year tripping on uh, transcendental drug, transcendental um, psycho, psycho, psychotropic. Tro- no, no, psychedelic, psychedelic. Yeah, psychotropic is the SSRIs and stuff. Okay, yeah, psychedelics. And uh, he's a big proponent, and he really mm-hmm. talks about how um, by by using mushrooms, LSD, and um, ecstasy, that you can really take a step back from your life. And you can lose your ego. And by losing your ego on a temporary basis, you can start to reprioritize and it can lower depression, anxiety, uh, people facing death. And yeah. he makes a very good argument for it. So do you, do you think you can kind of recalibrate and reset by using these drugs? I am absolutely positive that some people can. And I'm willing to believe that m- most and maybe all can. But I, I, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's that simple. I know that they don't work for me. Like even weed doesn't work for me mm. and it's not, and it used to, and it just stopped. And it's not a matter of me just like getting the right strain or, or anything. Does it make you paranoid and neurotic? Yeah, neurotic. The way that I always put it is it makes me see that there's like a hidden, okay, you know, like in Stranger Things, there's like the, the underworld yeah. to the world. It makes me see the underworld to my world. It makes me see the downside to my world that's been hidden in plain sight to me all the time. And I'm like, I, and it's like, I knew that that was a sort of a negative that's been looming in my life. What kind of things do you say? Um, okay, like the best example that I can give you is I was in a, uh, an ongoing, I'll call it a relationship with a girl. This is years and years ago. And it wasn't very serious. And, um, I think I, we both knew that she would have liked it to have been more serious. And I was very clear to her that it wasn't going to be serious. And I felt like I'd like erected enough barriers to her. Like our parents didn't meet and we didn't say I love you and stuff like that to where I felt like I could sleep at night with the way that I was handling myself. Mm-hmm. And then I ate some edibles cause I was going to watch some dumb, stupid movie. And I was like, you're being a dick. You're, this is a fucked up thing that you're doing. You're in this like relationship and you're playing with someone else's emotions. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something I wasn't aware of. It was just something that, but it didn't bother me until I did that. And, but do you think with guidance, because, mm-hmm. because Michael Pond talks about having guidance while you take these drugs yeah. set and setting, right? That you could have used that as an epiphany that would have moved your life forward? Yes. Yes, I do. And I tell you what. I just saw a guy. There's a shaman who lives in Santa Monica. 
and I went to his guest house, and he made me do a breathing exercise that I am told released my body's natural DMT, uh-huh. which is not a pleasant experience, but maybe maybe something I needed. I don't know. You know, I don't know who's in a position to really evaluate. You know, when you go to some guy who's a shaman in his backyard in Santa Monica, how much of what you come away with is really what happened, and how much of it is. I think of it like the Matrix, you know, when they when you meet the the when he meets like the black lady who has the cookies yeah. in the Matrix, and that's just like the face of it that he needs to see. Sometimes right. I think that when we get self help, it's not so much about you've found the right shaman or you've found the right ayahuasca or you've found the right beads or whatever. It's just that you finally found the placebo that lets you fix yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but so the step of this, seeking this sometimes guy, can yeah. bring you the answer. If rather it's, than if, the if, process. If, it, if it's the message, if it's the form of the message that you need it to be at that moment, then it almost is more important than the message itself, because ultimately you're just communicating with yourself. But to like answer your question, that guy actually, that guy could be the reason that I take mushrooms again, thinking it's going to be different this time because of exactly what you're saying, and then have a really horrible trip again and swear him off for another ten years. That's where I feel like. Wait, he so left this me. shaman? Did you take mushrooms with the shaman? No, no, I you didn't. Just did the but breathing. I think he was talking about this. You know, you split in the psyche, and I talked to him about. I forget how it came up, but I talked about how smoking weed doesn't work for me anymore. And he was like, "Yeah, you have this split in you, and 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 you need to address it." And right, like he made me think that I could take mushrooms, and somebody could guide me through it, and it could be like you can't run away from the negative; you have to run toward the negative. So maybe. Or maybe I just shouldn't take that drug because I'm pretty happy when I'm not on psychedelics and I shouldn't try to fix what's broken. Right. And ruin an afternoon in the process. Yeah, I need help. Do you? Yeah, my psyche's definitely split. See, you always you always say that and I can't tell how much of that is shtick. No, there's no shtick at all. No, I'm I'm very forthright about it. I, you I seem, struggle. You seem I, happy. I just found a bunch of old notebooks because me and Allison Rosen do a thing called Explosive Diary yes. on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I found some old uh, – I've kept journals my whole life. And it's great that you've so, done that. I regret not doing that. Well, they're so somber and they're really – and granted, you tend to write. You journal when you're at a dark place usually. So it is a record of my lower points, I think. But I really realize I've struggled with the same kind of issues for a long time. And I really think that using psychedelics with the shaman – because I've taken mushrooms Oh, in I've the got the guy. I'll years. give you his number. Yeah, I would love to do it right. I'd like to take a big dose with somebody that can – you do it for three days. You do a prep day. The day you trip and then the day after, mm-hmm. and you you talk your way through the whole thing, and I think I need to um I think I need to let go of some of the stuff that stifles me creatively life wise that I feel restrained, I feel like a guy whose arms are crossed emotionally, okay, you're actually kind of blowing my mind right now because this is the conversation I can. You are me when I was talking to the guy, so I can just be him and, and okay, I can pretty much fix you. I don't know. Gonna cost I me? don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know how much I'm supposed to reveal about this guy's method, but it's kind okay. of, there's kind of a wacky answer to that to that yeah. question, right? <laughs> he, uh, I feel like I'm exposing myself to to talk about what I talked about with him in such detail, but right, I tend to sit with my arms crossed and sort of hunched over and. I had no idea when I went to this guy. The light bulb just went off. Somebody said, I went to this guy, and it was really fun, and I think it appealed to me that everyone's talking about ayahuasca and DMT, and this guy's drug-free, but it's supposed to be just as good, or I tripped even harder on No, I've heard that. I've heard that. With breathing exercises, you can achieve the same thing. So I was like, 
it's sort of like how I've gotten with movies and stuff. If if I see like a poster and it looks cool, I just want to go. I don't want to know anything. I don't want to read a review. Yeah. I don't want to taint it. So I had absolutely no idea what I was walking into. So the guy's like, just tell me about yourself. Let's just wrap, you know, we're total strangers. And I start talking and within like three minutes, he's like, yeah, your problem's in your third chakra. And I'm like, oh, did not know I was having a chakra conversation here. I did mm-hmm. not know we were in the realm of chakras. But yeah, Greg Fitzsimmons, your third chakra is right around your sternum. And that is where your your oxygen flow is getting interrupted. And you need to you need to what you're doing is and what apparently I do is by living our lives sort of hunched over with our arms um crossed and our head forward, we're not letting anything into our heart until we filter it through our brain mm-hmm. first. Uh, that makes a lot and of sense. And our brain is protecting our heart. Right. And you need to learn how to sit back, relax, put your arms up on the couch behind you, put your head up towards the sky, and just take deep breaths and just go, ah, and just think about the fact that you have been, yeah, and feel safe, and just think about the fact that you have been struggling to get somewhere for as long as you can remember, and Greg, you've made it. Hmm. You are there. So the thing that you felt like you needed to protect yourself served its purpose. Mm-hmm. And now you can let go of it. And you can uh, creatively connect more with audiences when you stop mediating your connection um, from them to your heart, which is where the real connection happens, with your brain. And when yeah. you do stand-up and even when you write, you need your heart to be communicating with the crowd. You you got to stop filtering it through your brain. That's the disconnect that is stifling you reaching because you feel like you've done pretty good creative work, but you feel like you've never really hit that thing that you know is inside of you. Yeah, yeah. This is the conversation I had with the guy. I think precisely. I, I forget who said this quote, but they said if it doesn't come from your heart, it doesn't go into their heart. I, I get that. I get that. Um, and I think it's interesting. I make these little notes for myself, little uh, like just helpful tidbits of information or motivation or or what have you. And I make little like digital cue cards and that's my screensaver on my computer. And it's amazing how many of them are. So your podcast with Alison Rosen is called Childish and there's the show Blackish, right? So the guy who made Blackish is um, he pitched like 20 shows and nothing sold or nothing actually got made. And he finally just wrote his life. And that's the thing that's connected with people. Yeah. There's um, Mo Willems is the children's author, if I'm okay. saying his name correctly, was trying to sell all this stuff and started dashing off these little joke things for his friends' kids. That's the shit that hit. The South Park guys were off pitching God knows whatever, couldn't get it done. They made their little Jesus beats up Santa Claus thing in, a, in an afternoon as like a, a little one-off project for somebody, and that's the thing. It's like you need to trick yourself into stop thinking and start actually doing mm. doing the thing that's really truest to you but can you trust yourself to be that vulnerable with the world right, basically right and i guess also can it ever be too late if you don't reach that point by the time you're 30 can your heart have you know have crusted over to the extent that you can no longer let your heart light shine a la neil diamond and et right and i think that i did i have been successful using fear from day one, I mm-hmm. used fear to co- competitiveness, like as a young comic watching the other comics around me. And this guy, 
just got booked. He's getting paid. I've never gotten paid. He's, I'm funnier than him. And then this guy's headlining. I'm funnier than him. I should be headlining. And, and afraid that I'm not going to get to that place. So it would drive me to write and work harder and do those extra nights. And fear has driven me, you know, pretty far. Mm-hmm. But I can't keep running on fear. I need to, like you said, I need to access my heart spirit mm-hmm. and start creating from there. And aren't you kind of safe enough? Again, you're over the hump. You've raised a kid. I know I've heard you say that there's already a college fund for the next kid. There isn't as much riding on it. Like, I still feel like if I get tossed out on the street, that's got repercussions for, like, a baby yeah. that, like, loses health care. At this point, like, you're going to be fine mm. if you had to. If you just went, you know, fully native and just did, you know, grew your hair out and just did exactly what came naturally to you and people fucking hated it. You and your tie-dye shirt and your wife could, you know, move to a guest house behind somebody's place in, in, <laughs> in Brentwood until you fucking put the pieces back together right, and went back to right, being right. The, the fear-driven, unhappy, bitter Greg Fitzsimmons. Yeah, I need to have my you have that, American earned, beauty. That I need my American beauty moment. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what if it ended up... It almost, doesn't it just seem kind of too good to be true that you could... Stop trying. That's another one of my little notes that I have is uh, Charles Bukowski saying, um, uh, what is it? Writing is hard. I don't write. I just type. Mm-hmm. What, doesn't it just seem too easy that you could do it? That you, and I think that's maybe part of the Irish Catholic thing that we have or whatever, that it's not supposed to be easy. It has to be hard work for it to be good work. But, but, but the hard work would seem to be a flow state thing. It would be very easy. T.S. Eliot said, ours is in the trying, the rest is none of our business. What does that mean? It, think about process mm-hmm. and don't go from the fear of what the outcome is going to be. You don't edit before you've, right, that's the thing they tell you. Like right. you, you need to spend like a day or an afternoon or a lot of amount of time writing. You can't mm-hmm. write a sentence and start editing the sentence. Right. You need to get it out purely. Have you ever been one of those guys? They always say that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've written like screenplays and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that and they always just say, just right. And I've always found that an impossible task. And sometimes you'll see that, that uh, bit like parodied in a movie, the Melissa McCarthy movie where she's the forger has that in it mm-hmm. of the person sitting at the typewriter with writer's block going, I am typing. That is what I am doing right now. Yeah. I don't have anything to say, but that is okay because I am just going to keep typing. I have never, unless I sit down with a plan and an outline and executed from that, I have friends who swear by that, just sit down and type and it comes. Have, has it ever worked for you? Yeah, I'm a big believer in the uh, the sloppy first draft. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, told to me by, God, I'm forgetting, there was a showrunner who gave me that advice. And writing is really rewriting. Right. Because you realize, like, after you've rewritten something for, like, I just wrote a script this year. I rewrote it 30 times. Mm-hmm. And you really go, well, then how important was the first draft? Not that important. It was, it was, a, it was important that I type out, you know, 51 pages of a sitcom. Yeah. But then you're only, only in the sense that, like, you need something to rewrite. Yes. There's a famous thing from a movie. It might be like Busby Berkeley uh, from movie making where he, he, they're trying to put together a dance number and he comes out and he goes, what's going on? And the guy goes, I, I don't know. I, I can't even figure out what to do. And he said, well, just do something so we have something to change. Right. And it's literally just make the dancer start running around. Yes. So we have something to change. I've always felt like you need to have that 
pure germ of inspiration and then you can write and rewrite oh, right. and rewrite right. from that and it just seems like yes i understand that your 50th draft may bear little to no relation to the first one but you you need to be riding that wave absolutely of, of you need to be excited about an idea right and i think that part of that is i went to bali and there's a there's a village called abud i love it there and it's all artists and I could they, live there. They sit around. Yes. And they wait to be inspired. I didn't go And there. while they do, they play checkers and backgammon or they fuck around. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, they sit down and they furiously do artwork. But, the, but they, are, they are, you know, it's a Hindu island. Mm-hmm. And so there is, you know, they have the caste system and they are a system of artists. And that, if you are an artist, you are given respect and time and space and then... And then it just happens. And that's the way art should happen. I love it there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, I sometimes think we all have had that thought about what if the shit really goes down? And I feel like Ubud might become quickly overflowing with the likes yeah, of you. Right, right. <laughs> and we might be bounced. But that was yeah. the one place, like people go to Hawaii and are like, I can live here. I'm like, I would go fucking insane yeah. in Hawaii. Nice place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. That uh-huh. was the one where I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I can yeah, get this. Yeah, and I think that that's what it is. They're waiting for that spark, and yeah. then you get, mm-hmm. and once you get the spark, then you need to be mad. I think artists have to be a little bit manic. What do you mean by that? Like, think of Jack Kerouac writing on the road. Yeah, you know, I think that, oh, the speed. Yeah, did he take speed? Pretty for sure. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, but the, just just the idea though that you need to have the kind of personality where where you do get sparked by something that that you have a single focus. Maybe it's ADHD for some people. I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been able to like really get so excited about something that I will stay up all night and work on it and I'll spend days really just throwing myself at it and feeling better than I have ever felt. Isn't the AD part of that attention deficit? Are yeah. you saying that you can do this because of the drugs for ADHD? Well, att- attention deficit disorder really means that you are unable to focus on things that you don't want to focus on. Oh, okay. In other words, when you go to school and they go, now you got to go to history class, but your head was back in drawing class, You're very, it's very hard for you to transition into that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. ADHD doesn't mean that you can't go hyper on one idea that you're into. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've given me a lot to think about. I, I have parenting questions for okay. you um, based on the, uh, the I, I listened to a little bit of the Childish podcast. And, oh, here's the first one. This has nothing to do with your podcast. To your, um, uh, in your world, are you Mr. Fitzsimmons to your kids' friends? Or are you Greg? Mr. Fitzsimmons. And has that always been an, uh, an understood thing among all the other parents? Um, you mean do my kids call them? I I think it's a case by case basis because I find, I mean I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a couple of kids that call me Greg yeah but for the most part I'm a Mister Fitzsimmons. I find that all of the parents maybe it's just changed in like ten years yeah all of the parents talk to their kids saying oh will you give that to Mike or whatever and introduce themselves to kids like I feel like I would be a humongous antiquated like stick in the mud for me to say no you're going to call them Mr. and Mrs. so and so and you're and and what's more your kid is going to call me Mr. Tully because zero people zero percent of the parents I know do that I think that there's something to respect I agree no, I think I, there's this something is what I, to like, what I expected like is that my we would kids do that. don't my kids don't wear baseball caps at the dinner table right and they say please and thank you and they take their, you know, they, there's just simple things that you can teach your kids early on yeah. that I think they create a dynamic with other people and with, with adults 
that really assist them in life. I absolutely agree. I may have gotten it a little too hard. If there was somebody who was um, who was a mister to me when I was a kid, some of them have shamed me into calling them by their first yeah. name in adulthood. But it, it'll always it'll right. always feel wrong. Yeah, I can never ever do it. So I, maybe that's just I, 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 we live in the same world. But where'd you grow up? Um, suburban New Jersey. I think it's an East Coast thing too. I think it's in New York. Oh, really? I think it comes from the parents out here. Always been Doreen and Rub. I think so. I think when you think of California, you think of kids calling their parents by their first name, and when you think of New York, it's an it's an immigrant culture. Yeah. You know, no, New England is about Italians and Irish moving to the city and very yes. much trying to show that they had class, and so that meant manners. It was drilled into kids that you had manners. Yeah, and it's not that these kids don't have manners, and I want to be clear about that. It's no, not, it's, it's just kids, a social. It, it's just a social convention right. that just seems like it is completely falling by the wayside, and I find it strange, and I feel like I just have to lump it. Yeah. It's like the, uh, it is already it is already too late. Yeah, I mean, mm. my my kids said the other day, "Oh, Elizabeth told me blah blah blah." I'm like, "Who the fuck? Oh yeah. shit, that's the neighbor's mom." Yeah, who, by the way, might be listening now. Hello, Elizabeth. Um, w- uh, so you stopped doing drugs before the kids were. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna have to figure out where to hide my own drugs on my own. Um, am I an idiot for thinking, Greg Fitzsimmons, that I can hide my porn bookmarks from my kid throughout his teen years? I have a nobody touches daddy's computer rule. And do you feel like that has been respected? Absolutely. And if it's not, I scream and yell. I, I it's the only time I really like raise my voice. Do you think d- they've ever put together that that's it's weird that that's the no one thing because they can't? it's not really that. I mean, it is that, but no. My <laughs> first thought on that is my life is on that computer and uh-huh. on that phone. My right. appointments, my writing, you know, my softwares, and and I don't want them fucking with it. There are plenty of computers in the house. Mine is mine. No, my wife doesn't touch it. Nobody touches it. Okay, is it? But it is sort of a natural thing to, at some point or another, out of curiosity or boredom or what have you, to search every inch of your parents' belongings. I is got a not, passcode on mine. On your computer, yeah. And do you see? Because, like, you know, Will Pendarvis. Everybody listening to this knows who Will Pendarvis is. He swears, forget it. It doesn't matter. There has never been a security system invented that a thirteen-year-old boy can't outsmart it. Right. So one of you two, either your I kid- clear my bookmarks every time I watch porn. I clear my bookmarks. But clear my uh, history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't you like? What if you ever want to save one that you like want to come back to? I don't do it. You don't do it. No. Dude. I just go to I go uh-huh. to my Google. Yeah. Japanese hidden camera massage porn lesbian just, every time and just yeah and then I the, get the, a cl- the, gold, the golden oldies are in there and there's always a new surprise too. I'm I'm yeah. getting to that age where you forget stuff. I noticed the other day I had a a porn clip bookmarked the same one three times. Yeah, I'm like wow. I must no, re- that's the beauty of it. I, I can must watch really the like same that one. one over and over again and think it's a new <laughs> I experience. I don't even know. Yeah, because yeah. this is a new one. My dad didn't. Uh, my dad. There were dads that had stacks of Playboys. My dad was never the stack of Playboys guy. Mm, if mine was, either. No, we had none of that in the house. Right. So that's a, that's just one I'm going to have to figure out. You had the talk, obviously, with your children at some point. Is there is that a, is that fun? About sex? Yeah. I picked my son up at his friend's house, mm-hmm. and his friend lives exactly nine minutes from our house. And so as he <laughs> yeah. got in, I go, uh, Owen, we need to talk. And he went, oh, no. How old? He was probably 12. He went, oh, no. I go, I don't want to do it either, but we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I explained it in uh, pretty simple terms. I, 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 I talked a lot about respect and that yeah. you have to respect the woman and uh, you know, make sure that she's on board along the way and, and all that. But 
Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Okay. All right. Yeah, I do feel like parent. You know, um, the last generation of parents, our generation of parents, made this shit way harder than it had yeah. to be, and yeah. it was because of shit that was put on them. Obviously, nobody's yeah. really responsible for those. Are no, my my birds and the bees talk was my mother sitting me down and going, when uh, adults have sex, the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina, and then they have a baby. Don't ever tell your grandfather I just told you that, and that was it. That was the whole talk. Wow. I have so much shame around sex. Right? I mean, growing up Catholic with the whole immaculate conception, the whole idea that, like, the only way Jesus could have been born if it, if it didn't involve sex, because yeah. sex is so bad. Mm-hmm. I still feel like uh, a guilt after I have an orgasm. Still. Does that make it better? No, it's terrible. You don't really feel that way. I do. Why? Even with my wife, I still feel guilty after sex. How? I feel like I did something dirty. So is this just like a given that when when you two are done, you're just going to be sitting on the side of the bed with your no, your, it's your, not that intense. No, I mean I feel good. Uh huh. I, I I can feel good and feel guilty at the same time. Yeah, right, right, right. We all contain multitudes, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. Speaking of which, I'm curious to know. So we're set up in a home that hopefully is going to be. My kid has moved five times, and he's seven. Mm. We're like circus people, but yeah. we got a place, and I think this is the one. I think you hopefully. bought it. We bought it. And Good. If, assuming I don't lose it, that we we have no intention. Good. Of it. Yeah, That's a nice feeling. It's amazing, and yeah. I like the place too. And it's the neighborhood I want to be in. I right. Just, it, it, Good I, schools. Uh, he was already in a different school, and we, you know, permit in. Okay, and, good. And it's all it's all figured out. Uh-huh. It, it's a wonderful feeling. It really is a gift that keeps on giving, provided I don't I don't blow the whole thing. But so now I know exactly how far it is from my room to the kids' room, and I'm really curious how I would go about having a sex life when they like their brains are actually working and they know what's going on. When they're really only, you know, people are living in much closer quarters than 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 we are, but they're still only. 15 feet away mm. at the other end of the hall. Like, yeah. How do you do that? Our daughter's room is butted up against our room. Sweet. And so we really have daytime sex. I mean, I work at night, so oh, it only right, makes right, sense. Right, yeah. During the day, I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sexually harass my wife, mm-hmm. and she gets the hint. Right, I get you. I get and you. I throw this a is, move this on her and covered see what on your, happens. on your podcast recently, right? I think so, yeah. That you sexually harass your wife? What does yeah. that mean exactly? Well, I credit card her. You know, she's doing the dishes, and I'll put my finger on her vagina and then wipe it up through the crack of her ass. Uh-huh. And she'll either respond positively or not. She'll either present, mm-hmm. like in the, in the wild. <laughs> Become engorged. And- or she'll yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to be like that? Like, do you ever just get to that point where, you, like, where you just go with your wife? Like, uh, can we just do a hard reset on some of the stupid shit that we've accumulated along the way? Like, do you really want it to be like that? Is that really your as favorite? opposed to me just going? Would you like to make love with me? I don't know. Maybe coming up behind her and taking like a flower and running it down her back, you know, and giving her a soft kiss on. She'd think on I was a neck. pussy. That's not the man she married. She only respects being credit card. Yes. That's the only, you really think that's the, like when, when she's on her own, when you're on the road and she's got lonely nights and she's taking care of her own needs, she's fantasizing about being credit carded. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is rejection hurts so much uh-huh. that by doing that, I'm doing it with humor and if she shuts me down, yeah. we can both laugh about no, it. No, and I understand why that, the function of that, but that's not the way, she's, what? I mean, she's pretty into you, and if she's not, she's made her peace with it. Now, sometimes if she's sitting at her computer, I'll come up and give her a back rub. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. 
You keep the romance. Like, do you tell your kids like I love you and shit like that? Constantly, and I hug them a lot. Good. Do you ever feel like you could oh, that could be overdone? Yeah, but I don't. I think every other day, mm-hmm. pretty good. <laughs> Try to keep on a. Shimmer. I had a friend of mine give me shit because we play volleyball on Sundays. We've right. done it for like fifteen years. We mm-hmm. go to the beach, bunch of us, and uh, I showed up and I hugged everybody. And oh, then my friend it, goes, yeah. my friend goes, you know, people hug too much. He's like, it should be saved for like a special moment so it means something. And I go, well, that's you. Mm. I go, you got intimacy issues and I, I'll take a hug any way I can get it. I mm. love the feeling of a hug. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I have the same intimacy issues. I don't want to hug my friends. I don't mm. want to hug guys. I'll hug. I like hugging girls. It's weird. It, the, the 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 I feel like the dynamic. You second guess yourself on the hug, and it's, and mm. if I'm if I'm second guessing the hug, I'll just give you a handshake. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't want to. I only want to hug a man when we just want a championship. Okay, of some some sort or another. Yeah, I don't know. I know I'm just denying myself pleasure. I think it is pleasure. I think there's a moment where you're hugging somebody where you feel very vulnerable, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's a, it's a way it's a way of saying. I mean, Joe Rogan. I hug him and say I love you. Every time I see him. Mm-hmm. Do you and know he's what? a big, tough guy. Do you know what's funny is I'm starting to find that a little bit with, with comedy guys. I think because you, that's very interesting. I've never thought of that before because I think that the kind of work that comics do is inherently very vulnerable. But you're putting yourself up on stage and you've obviously, you know, you, you've, you've sat at home thinking of things about yourself that you can expose. And when you share that bond with people that this is a thing that we do, that's very funny. I'll hug Sam Tripoli. And I don't want to hug my best friend. Mm. That's yeah. very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you think it's a different level hug. It's more of a casual hug with him. Yeah. It's a very, um, like, when I see my friend, all my best friends live out of town. So we hug when we see each other. And that's like a bring it in, pal. That's a very normal hug. It would be weird if we sh- if you shook hands with your yeah. best friend that you haven't seen in a year. With my comic friends, and I would never do this. This is so weird. I've never thought of this. With like my best friends, it's it's a supportive, emotionally supportive. While I'm talking to you, I'm like rubbing your back or I'm patting you on the back or something like that. It's definitely like a like I'm I'm here for you mm-hmm. kind of thing that I don't actually have for people for whom I'm actually because I'm not I'm not actually here for Sam Triple. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is something about, I find that the tapping of the back during the hug is a way of saying that. Whereas the full hold with no movement is yeah. a much more endearing. No, I don't, I don't, I don't go, I don't go dick to dick with, with, uh, comedians. Yeah. Come to think of it. Um, did you ever, I feel like I know the answer to this too. Did you ever start to like suck to your kids? Like you were cool and then all of a sudden dad's super lame. Yeah, I have a whole bit about that. Okay. So what's the age? I think when my son was about 14, 15, my daughter was like 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think when they start to find coolness within their peer group and then there's one kid they think is really cool and maybe there's a parent that they think is cool because that parent is usually a douchebag with no boundaries mm-hmm. and uh, who ruins it for the other parents. Okay. And they're the ones that l- allow your kid to smoke pot in their house and all that shit. Um, and so, yeah, I have a whole bit about like they sit around the table going like, uh, like, uh, hey, dad, you're so out of it. Dad, you're so, you're so, you know, yeah. and I go, you don't know me, motherfucker. Uh-huh. You don't know who I was. Mm-hmm. I used to be very cool. You know when I stopped being cool? When you two assholes were born. Before it's- that, very cool. Way cooler than you will ever be. It's 
funny because it is true. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're on the verge of the empty nest thing. Yeah. Which I am already kind of fearing. It's the worst. I think I know the best answer anybody's come up Oh, good. With Share. To it. Okay. So I heard somewhere along the way, and this is where I'm putting my eggs in this basket, Greg Fitzsimmons, um, that when you are very young, it's natural psychologically and emotionally to be sort of all about yourself within reason. And then you get into a serious relationship and you start to care about another person as much as you care about yourself and that that's the natural next stage. And then it is natural. And I remember, like, what made you want to have kids? I think as fucked up as my family was, we were very close and we were passionate about each other. Mm. And it felt like that was my primary world. And my friends, as close as I was to my friends, I was definitely a guy who was like, my home was my home. Okay. And I wanted to recreate that. Because I hear weird reasons put on people for having kids. I, I've met one father who was like, well, yeah, I just, you know, I want to have somebody who's going to be like, you know, my friend and like look up to me. Uh-huh. And that that was never my, that's cool. And I guess you do get that. That was never my motivation. I think it just felt like more of a biological urge, which is probably just because I was trying to recreate the situation that I grew up mm-hmm. with. I can remember a moment when my wife was out of town. And so I'm getting drunk at home and I'm smoking cigarettes because when she's out of town, I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm hanging out on my front porch with this stray cat that we kind of adopted. And I was like, this is done. I'm, I'm over this. This is, this is me hanging out drinking whiskey with a cat. Smoking cigarettes is no longer where I want to be. When she comes home, we like we always knew we wanted to have kids, but I was like, it's it's time to expand yeah. our universe, right. to expand the Marvel universe to include some a next generation. So anyway, it is supposedly natural to then want to do that and to spread your affection and your concern to almost pro- like give an overflow of affection and love and you need some somebody to absorb it yeah but see what you're also doing is your world is getting bigger because it goes from you to you and the partner to yeah. you and the kids right and what is supposed to happen when and this is why a lot of people when they get older become like philanthropic once you have the empty nest you're supposed to sort of like how celibacy is supposed to work priests aren't supposed to not have sexual energy they're supposed to figure out a way to sublimate it into a general love for the parish you are supposed to become concerned about something larger than yourself or some things larger than yourself into trans how big is your balloon what is that is that a book i think it's a book about like your community and how how what how big is the community that you love? And okay, it, right. and it can you want to expand it? Because I can already feel the. I mean, I have a ten month old, and I'm already fearing the the empty nest thing. Yeah, and that's the only answer that I can come up with. Is maybe you can care about. Yeah, the and world. I think I think that 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 has definitely happened. Um, and the other thing I can tell you for your kids is do do charity work with your kids early mm-hmm. and throughout their lives because that really is a that's something that'll stay with them. We've always done that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, my my parents were were cool enough to do that kind of stuff with mm-hmm. with me, and I'm it's the only reason why I know that I'm doing it with my kid. It's because yeah. you you do end up recreating a lot of shit from your childhood. Oh yeah. So it's nice if the shit from your childhood is 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 really really good stuff. Right. And it is um, it's a very weird time and a very weird town that we live in, where we are safe and secure in a home that we're very happy to be in. That ninety nine percent of the people in the world would be very happy to live in, and yet one block away, there's people living under an overpass. Mm-hmm. And I frankly, I just don't know how my kid hasn't asked the question yet. Like, how come this doesn't all that's yeah. kind of fucked up? You know, I, right. I'm sort of preemptively answering that question by saying I, I don't know the big answer. I just right. know that we can 
we can help yeah. a little bit yeah. because yeah i agree with you it's not i'm not advocating for full scale socialism but what we have right now also doesn't seem right. to be working right. you know how much um like dad material have you done on stage over the years proportionately like have you ever done full sets that were dad stuff have you ever felt like you needed to make it not all dad stuff i never think about that okay i really I really just go on and I do, I write new jokes and then I, I try to do as many new things as I can mixed with enough old stuff that it's still a good show. Mm-hmm. But what excites me is new material yeah. and I never think about what it's about really. But if I do a school benefit, which I do a fair amount of, yeah. I will pull together my kids' stuff and I'm shocked at how much I really have the when I look at it. The dad best of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can do a half hour of pretty strong stuff about being a dad and- Mm-hmm. Being in a family. Like, does it ever, uh, I guess my question is this, I'm asking for a friend, of course, like if you, if you just do material about your kids a majority of the time, does that necessarily make you like a dad comedian? Because I would kind of argue- I never there, think in those terms. That there's two, there's two separate kinds of things. There's definitely the, I mean, Bill Cosby being the absolute ultimate yeah, example. Right. Because- I, I hate, mean, you got guys yeah. like Tom Papa, mm-hmm. who does a ton of stuff about being a dad and yes. about his kids. I love and Tom. Smart. Yeah. And uh, and I don't think that I think that you just honor what your reality is at any given time. Right. I don't think you. I never categorize myself. Maybe to a fault. I mean, there's guys that br- Jim Gaffigan started talking about food and he started playing theaters. You know, like <laughs> you can brand yourself that and be very what successful. Was in his heart. That's what he was excited he about. Stopped overthinking it. Yeah. And he was like, nobody is doing. Nobody's doing food. Yeah. Like I'm about to do food right uh yeah so let me ask you one more question if you were to just go fucking wild yeah and just no filter you're just gonna go on stage tonight and you're gonna have that moment that we hear about some comics having where i just i don't know i just something bad had happened in my life and i just threw the jokes out the window and i just went up there and ranted for an hour and it was the turning point of my comedy and it, it, it allowed me to blossom in a way that i had never blossomed before what will you be talking about at this exact moment, yeah. I don't think it would be a positive thing. I think I would be ranting about, and is, and I won't do it because my truth right now is that getting old is bothering me, mm-hmm. and being a straight white male in Hollywood right now mm-hmm. is difficult. Now, I'm, a, I'm in the camp that women's time has come, yeah. and if I was a woman, I'd be screaming on the rooftops, and I would be disrupting, and they have the right to do that. and. But I have to say, from my point of view, as a guy that's got to pay a mortgage, put kids through college, who just went through staffing season, unable to get a job, and told by five different producers that they couldn't hire a straight white male right now, that 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 is my my fear is in there, and I mm-hmm. think my comedy would probably come out of that. Okay, well, I don't see anybody in the public sphere in any major way who's speaking to the uh, the rage. Right of the straight white male because we're afraid to. Well, no, I'm totally joking. I think that's kind of our, uh, that's kind of our president. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Do yeah, you? no, there's there's comics that are doing it. Yeah, and I course, don't yeah. think it. I don't think it's a good metric. Is that the word metric? Good uh, optic. It's not uh, a good optic. It's a good look. Yeah, it's not a good look, and it's like, and and I also feel like we had straight white men. We had it great. From forever until about a year ago. Yeah. So luckily, I bought a house. I got some money saved. I'm in good shape. 
I'm not. I, I have no place to complain. Yeah, you were in the the last lifeboat off of the Titanic. Yes. All right. Well, yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you so much for coming by. I'm so glad we finally got to do yes, this. Yes. Thank you. At Greg Fitz Show, Fitz Dog Radio Podcast, the childish podcast, and of course tour dates at FitzDog.com. Atlanta, Buffalo, and uh, Tampa coming up. 